Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. To steal a line from Alex Kemp, the head official of Sunday's Lions-Seahawks game, I'm talking to America here. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman, and I'm coming to you after a jam-packed NFL Sunday. Detroit and Seattle weren't the only ones that had some fun. 13 games, two trips to overtime, six upsets. Who knows what I'm forgetting was an action-packed week two, and we're here to take you all through it. We're doing what we're calling the Sunday Six. Once again, the six things that you need to know coming out of an amazing NFL Sunday. Let's jump right into it. The biggest of the storylines, the most impressive performance so far this week. We do. We have two Monday night games still. We'll get to that. But here on Monday morning, the absolutely most impressive win of the weekend. Let's jump right into it. Item number one on the agenda, and that's the Cowboys corner, baby. How about them? How about those Dallas Cowboys? Look, this this was a crazy weekend, y'all. A weekend where the favorites only managed a 6-8 and eight record against the spread. And who had the biggest spread of the weekend, you might ask? The Dallas Cowboys. Looked like a big line, if you remember us talking about it. It was all the way up there at 8.5, 9 points. Cowboys dominate the New York Jets by a score of 30-10, to 10, staking their claim, in my opinion, For the best resume in the NFL through two weeks, they've beaten their opponents by a combined score of 70 to 10. Now, I can hear you scoffing. I can hear you rolling your eyes. If you're not a Cowboys fan, you're a Cowboys hater. I can hear you telling me that was Zach Wilson starting for the Jets, Dave, not Aaron Rodgers. Nobody cares. Sure, that's fine. Just keep that same energy from last week when Zach Wilson played well enough to beat the Buffalo Bills, when the feisty New York defense played well enough to fluster the Bills into 16 points and three turnovers. Yeah, those guys went down to Dallas and played the Dallas Cowboys where we saw none of those problems. Sure, the Cowboys kicked a lot of field goals. That's about as big of a critique as you can come up with for this team. But Dak Prescott and his offense piled up 382 yards on the supposed dominant New York defense, 26 first downs on the day. Dak was dotting his receivers up on third downs. He converted, count them, five different third and longs against Sauce Gardner in this New York defense. 
They were nine of 18 on third down on the day. And some of their failed conversions were way after this thing was out of hand. Dallas put this thing away early in the third quarter. Yeah, maybe it is less impressive because Zach Wilson was the quarterback, but they sacked him three times. They forced four turnovers. And yes, they allowed 10 points. The Cowboys allowed 10 points and it looks bad by comparison because their other game against the New York Giants, Giants was a shutout. They didn't allow any points after halftime in this game. Micah Parsons, maybe you've heard of him, right at the center of it, putting a defensive player of the year resume together already, wrecked this game plan for the New York Jets, stopped him in the run game, terrorized their offensive tackles. Through two games, he's at six sacks, six quarterback hits. He had a forced fumble and recovered it against the Jets on Sunday. Honestly, should have been a touchdown. Yeah, he got touched, but it it would have been cool. Let Micah score, refs. Get out of here. They asked Micah when he thought he could take over this game afterward, and he said, on Monday. This game was over before the teams got off the bus. The Cowboys' point differential is plus 60. That's double the next best team in the league. They are doubling up the San Francisco 49ers, who are also off to a hot start. Like I said, it's early. This is easily the most impressive resume to date. Dallas defense gets the headlines and deservedly so, but Dak Prescott and the Dallas offense absolutely pulled their share of the weight against one of the best units in football on Sunday afternoon. And my guess, if you're tired of hearing about it, I would get used to it. The Cowboys' next two opponents are a combined 0-4. The Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots both losing on Sunday to drop to 0-2. Not to write anybody off ahead of time, but it's sure looking like Dallas is going to have a nice record setting up a huge, huge week five showdown with the San Francisco 49ers. Absolutely cannot wait. Speaking of the San Francisco 49ers, item number two on the agenda. We had a really fun day in the NFC West. Let's get into it. A surprisingly really fun day across this entire division, but the headline is obviously the big cross-conference showdown in Detroit on Sunday afternoon. Seattle ekes out an overtime win against the Detroit Lions, 37-31. I had a chance to catch up with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson right after a wacky one. Check out our conversation. Joined now by Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson after a thriller in Detroit. Guys, for starters... Can we just petition the league to make Seattle and Detroit play every single season? Because it seems like it happens this way every single time. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's only a shame we were just talking, Dave, that you don't get to see Detroit have the ball at the end. I mean, it, it, we kind of had that feel, whoever had the ball last. And, you know, I know Detroit would have loved to have it. But for Seattle, after looking, quite frankly, terrible in the second half last week, and at the end looked like they were going to give it away, that was an impressive kind of resilient win for them yeah and you got to feel good for geno smith the way regulation ended was kind of a a wonky play there taking that big loss on the on the sack to give the short field to detroit to kick the field goal but i'll tell you both offenses all day i mean there were some turnovers that really ended up being the difference in the game it's detroit turning the ball over three times won a pick six wanted to fumble on the first play of the second half seemed like that was really the turning point but Give credit to Seattle. They came on the road, hostile environment, and got a big week, a big win to avoid going 0-2. That's exactly where I was going to go, and I'll get you all out of here on this, but it's such a huge pivot point. And you all mentioned, obviously, Detroit would have loved to have a 2-0 start. But when you look at the statistics of what an 0-2 start means, you, may, you managed to get this game to overtime. What does it mean to Seattle, especially as poorly as they played in week one, 
to get out of here with a win. I, it just it seems like the type of thing that can, you know, I don't want to exaggerate week two, but it seems like the type of thing that can drastically uh, kind of change the trajectory of your season. Well, I just think it means something that their offense came to life because, you know, they, they their offense was a downfield attack offense. They played this game without both of their starting tackles. So I think you saw that like, oh, that's the Seattle team from last year, right? Absolutely. And when Tyler Lockett, it seemed like every time Geno Smith needed a critical play, third down, fourth down, they're in the red zone on a critical third down to end up being the walk-off touchdown. It was really Tyler Lockett that yeah. was on his, you know, that was his big target. And Tyler Lockett's been doing that for a long time. And, um, you know, just, again, you have to feel good for Seattle and this offense to come out and answer the bell after a really bad week one performance, especially in the second half. I feel like I need a towel to wipe the sweat off my head. <laughs> Dave, that was fun. Hope I, you enjoyed it. I, I Look, I, was, I have anxiety, and I'm not even there. So, yes, y'all, hey, Seattle wins a thriller in overtime, 37-31 to 31 over Detroit. Thank you all so much for the time. Safe travels, okay? See you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks again to KB and Greg for the time. I thought Greg... Olsen made a, a, a hell of a point for a game such as this. I mean, you'd like to see both teams touch the ball uh, in an offensive shootout like this. Detroit finishes with 418 yards and 31 points. They don't get an opportunity to possess the football in overtime as Seattle drives right down the field and Tyler Lockett walks it off. Having said that, I, I don't think I can work up animosity or outrage over this. Because the Lions lost the turnover battle three to nothing. Like you had your opportunities to put this game away. Uh, you know, you're in control coming out of halftime, 14-7. First play of the second half is a David Montgomery fumble. Two plays later, the Seahawks are in the end zone to tie up a game that the Lions really felt like they had control of. And it happens throughout the second half. Jared Goff, man, I, we were we were tweeting and talking a little bit too much about that no interception streak. It ends at Ford field on Sunday, 383 attempts without an interception. He is pick six by Trey Brown. So again, seven of Seattle's points come off of Alliance turnover. And so I look at it and I say, yeah, the, the lions had absolutely every opportunity to win this game in regulation. I think that's, that's why you look at, at Seattle and say, way to go digging out of this hole, guys way to go coming back from a halftime deficit. Again, they lose by 17 points in week one. You don't want to fall into an O2 hole, not with a very impressive San Francisco 49ers team in your division. They don't let that happen. Geno Smith looking more like the guy we remember from 2022, 328 yards and two touchdowns, a very healthy eight yards per attempt. But again, there other than the turnovers, there's not a whole lot to be upset about. If you're a Detroit lions fan, this was exactly what you want it to look like. Jared Goff, 323 and three touchdowns. These are two of the best offenses in the NFC. I would expect that's going to continue. I can't wait to see how the Lions shake back. They had a huge opportunity to be 2-0. and And not only that, they would have had two wins against playoff teams from the previous season. Well, now they get a chance to test themselves against a surprise team. You know, we'll keep talking about these early season surprises. They now face... The Atlanta Falcons, again, at Ford Field, the surprise 2-0 Atlanta Falcons coming up to Detroit to try to really take put the league on notice with a third consecutive win. And again, the Seahawks turn around. They get the Panthers next week, but you look at their schedule, there's some nasty games coming up, and, and you know the statistics if you fall into an 0-2 hole. Like I've said before, I don't know how much I buy into that, but I do buy into the idea that you have a hell of a lot better chance of getting where you want to go 
without having to dig out of that kind of hole at the beginning of the season. They improve to one and one after probably the most baffling loss of week one. And I just, I think, you know, this is the exact type of thing that the NFL is, is famous for, you know, a lot of people picking the lions before this game. It was an awfully big line for a matchup between playoff contenders. I think it was, I think it was closed at five and a half in favor of the lions. Seattle banged up on the offensive line does not matter like KB and Greg alluded to, they get back to the explosive fun offense that we remember from last year. We'll see if that, if they can carry that forward. But again, not sweating this too, too much. If I'm the Detroit lions through two games, if I had told you you were going to split these games, you'd probably say, yeah, that sounds about right. You would assume that you're going to lose to the Kansas city chiefs on opening night and win this game at home. So you flipped it. It doesn't matter. It's still a plenty impressive performance. You get the gritty win against the chiefs on the road and you score 30 points in a loss here against Seattle. I think that's what it's going to take for the lions to be successful. And to this point, we haven't seen anything that that causes me at least to lose confidence in their offense. We'll see what happens with David Montgomery. He did lose, leave this game late with a thigh injury. Not sure what the severity of that is yet. Fortunately for them, they have a first round pick in Jameer Gibbs that they can lean on Jameer Gibbs, his career, maybe not off to the exciting start that a lot of fantasy football fans wanted. He goes seven carries for 17 yards, does have seven catches for 39 yards in the passing game. But David Montgomery, clearly the workhorse among those two running backs to this point, if he's unavailable, I'm curious to see how that changes the approach in Detroit. But man, this was just a very, very fun game and and not a whole lot to feel bad about for either of these teams. Somebody's going to lose when you go to overtime. Hell of an entertaining game and hat tip to the Seattle Seahawks for making sure they get their season back on track. Lions Seahawks might have been the wildest finish, but I think the funniest finish happened right here in Los Angeles. 49ers Rams. You talk about a bad beat. You got it here at SoFi Stadium. 49ers come into this game favored by seven and a half points. They've got a 10 point lead with a minute and some change to play. They punt to the Rams. The Rams drive all the way to the 49ers red zone. Four seconds to play down 10. They can't win. But what does Sean McVay do? He kicks the meaningless field goal to cover. Absolutely hilarious. I hope you didn't have money on that one. Or if you did, I hope it worked out in your favor. Jokes aside, this was a really impressive game for both teams, I thought. The Niners get a relatively stress-free win. They seem to have control of this thing for the final five or so minutes. But check out these L.A. Rams. Like, I know they lost, but for the second week in a row, really acquitting themselves like a team that is far more competent than we gave them credit for at the start of the season. Matthew Stafford, over 300 yards for the second straight week. We will get to Puka Nakua who is on fire later in the show. I did want to shout out Kyron Williams, the second year running back. Cam Akers mysteriously inactive for this game. Kyron Williams announces himself in a big way. 100 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. And don't worry, 49ers. There's only a couple teams in the league that have scored more points than you. This offense absolutely rolling with Brock Purdy back from injury. Had a chance to talk about it with the guys that called the game, Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. Check it out. All right, guys, appreciate the time. I heard you reference this at the end of the broadcast. It felt like a bit of a ho-hum day for the 49ers offense. And then you look up at the end of this thing and it's 362 yards and 30 points. 
from what you can well, see, I mean, with with you know, Debo Samuel getting involved this week, how do you put a game plan together to stop these guys? Dave, that's the biggest challenge. There are so many weapons on this San Francisco 49er offense that Brock Purdy has so many different choices to work with. For a defensive coordinator, it's sort of a pick your poison. You know somebody's going to get something. You're exactly right. And the big deal was Ayuk has the explosive game last week. He gets dinged up in this game. And these guys don't even flinch. Who's it going to be next week? Is it Kittle? Is it McCaffrey again? Is it Debo? Jawan Jennings is going to have one of those games. I mean, Brock Purdy knows where his receivers are, how this whole thing fits together. And you can tell Shanahan's calling this game through the quarterback, not for the quarterback. It's, it's fun to watch. On the flip side, you guys had the call of Rams Seahawks last week. Am I crazy if I'm just as impressed by the Rams performance in this loss as I was in their win last week? I don't think you're crazy at all, Dave. We were talking about it off-air during one of the breaks. This Rams team is better than I think a lot of people expected based on that 5-12 and 12 season a year ago. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, two crucial plays today, and they were both interceptions. Both the receivers could have helped the quarterback, in my opinion. But if you're two plays away from beating one of the best teams in football and easily the best potential roster in football, there's something to take home from this, and this is going to be a tough film to watch because they want to take these conference games and especially these division games over and win them. But there's plenty of meat on the bone. And, oh, by the way, Cooper Cup, hopefully he's coming back soon. I mean, the NFC West shaping enough to be a lot more fun than a lot of us thought before the season. Kevin Kugler, Mark Sanchez, appreciate the time, y'all. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you. Even the last place team in this division had a really interesting day. That's how you know it was fun. Arizona Cardinals jump all over the New York Giants. Had a 20-0 lead at halftime. Built it as high as 28-7. Josh Dobbs looking like he's got something to him. You know, people laughed when he got the starting job after Colt McCoy was released. But he has a 99 passer rating in this game. 41 rushing yards to go with two total touchdowns. And for the record, they blew that lead. The Giants come back to win. We'll get into the Giants side of that later. But through two weeks, the Cardinals don't look like a team that's tanking. That was the storyline heading into this season. Looking much, much more competent than a lot of people were giving them credit for. Like I mentioned earlier, they do have Dallas coming up next week. We'll see if they can keep that going. But a much more entertaining football team in Arizona than I was giving them credit for. All right. Speaking of surprises, there's quite a few of them through two weeks. A lot of teams, maybe we weren't expecting to see start 2-0. Maybe we weren't expecting to see start 0-2. Let's break them down with our next items on the Sunday 6. If we're talking surprise 2-0 teams, I think you got to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why? For my money, best roster among the surprise teams, and they play in a wide-open division. I talked to our own Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston about exactly that. All right, Dave. So, uh, you know, coming into the year, not many people like the Bucks. Have they gone with this 2-0 start and suddenly made themselves the favorite in the South? It's early, but I would say yes. Wow. And, and for a number of reasons, number one, they're very good in the offensive and defensive line. And to me, that's where everything starts. It allows your running game to be successful, your passing game to be successful. They're great at pressuring the quarterback just with their down guys, but then with Todd Bowles' system, right. adding pressure from the linebacker level, the secondary level. I still think they have probably the best 1-2 or 1-A, 1-B wide receiver combo in the NFL trying to defend that. And one of the great lines this week was, was Todd Bowles saying, listen, I'm not asking Baker Mayfield to build the engine. I just want him to drive the car well he's doing a little bit more than just driving the yeah. car he might be working on the carburetor <laughs> really impressive stuff from mayfield today starts his time as the bucks quarterback 2-0 they hold off the bears today 27 17 dave 
Now, there were some who had views of the Bucs being a surprisingly good team, and those people look awfully smart. This defense is stocked full of the dudes who helped them win Super Bowl 55. They're still there, and those dudes look charged up. Through two games, the Buccaneers have eight sacks. They've got five takeaways. They terrorized Justin Fields nonstop on Sunday afternoon. All they needed was for Baker Mayfield to not mess this up. Not only is he not messing it up, He's playing like we thought he would on draft day. He torched a banged up Bears secondary for 317. Set Mike Evans up for 171 on the day. He found seven different receivers in this win against the Bears. He only threw eight incompletions, by the way. A 2-0 start may have been the furthest thing from anybody's minds, but the Bucs are proving exactly why you can't write them off. Hey, guys, you're not the only ones that can do Drake references. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Atlanta Falcons. After all, the Bucks' own division rival is also 2-0. And check out the stones on Arthur Smith. The Falcons head coach goes for it on fourth down four times on Sunday against Green Bay. None of those was bigger than at the 207 mark of the fourth quarter. He elects to move closer rather than settle for a field goal to take a 25-24 lead. Now, granted, the Falcons would still wind up kicking a field goal to go ahead, but it allowed them to take another minute off the clock, get rid of Green Bay's remaining two timeouts. They lose the game if they don't get that. Played it to perfection. Scared money don't make money. Absolutely love it from Arthur Smith. This is more of the vision, I think, of what Arthur Smith had in mind for the Falcons than week one. Week one, a stop-start game, not exactly a very pretty affair. But this was impressive. They carried the ball 45 times for 211 yards against a Green Bay defense that looked swarming in week one. That is going to be the engine of this offense. That threat of Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier running the ball is going to make life easier on Desmond Ritter, throwing into favorable coverage. And oh, by the way, all of his options have 12-foot wingspans looking like sequoia trees out there. It played to perfection in this game. Drake London, after a forgettable season opener, gets involved. He's got 67 and a tutty. Mac Hollins would have had a touchdown of his own if he just, ah, just maybe do a few more calf raises in the gym next time, Mac Hollins, and you will come down with a touchdown of your own. If the run game is working the way the Falcons want it to, they are going to be a headache for everybody they play, and that's why they're 2-0. Okay, you could have seen most of that coming. Falcons and Bucks, proud of you though we are. How about the Washington Commanders? And hello to Sam Howell. It's one thing to stay out of the way in week one against Arizona, which is basically what he did. Week two brought something completely different. Now, let me not get too far ahead of myself. The Washington pass rush continues, in my opinion, to be the best thing the Commanders do. They sacked Russell Wilson seven times on Sunday. They forced him into two turnovers. That doesn't change the fact that Howell, making his third NFL start, facing a 21-3 deficit early in the second quarter, leads his team back, like led this offense back in the late first half and the early second and, and the entire second half. He's led scoring drives on three of five possessions after halftime, had a 30-yard dot to Terry McLaurin. Like he again, he wasn't just operating the offense and staying out of the way. He was making big boy throws making big boy plays of course similarly hilarious to the finish between the Niners and the Rams this is oh, an absolutely wacky finish the commanders complete the comeback they actually take a big time lead only to give it away 
on the most ridiculous Hail Mary you'll ever see. If you missed it on Sunday, please go check out the replay. It looked like a volleyball match the way guys were bopping it into the air. They survived, though. Can you imagine being Ron Rivera? You know this whole season is an interview for your job. You know you got to win. And the difference between 2-0 and and 1-1 and is the two-point conversion on a Hail Mary that never should have been completed in the first place. But guess what? They get the breakup. Maybe it maybe should have been a flag, but hey, it didn't get thrown. And the Commanders, one of the most unlooked for, impressive 2-0 starts to the season you'll ever see. And while we need to mention Montez Sweat, Chase Young, and all the rest of those pass rushers, it starts with Sam Howell because you don't overcome 18-point deficits without good quarterback play. Good on you, young fella. Now, of course, if there's good surprises, there's bound to be bad ones as well. So let's keep it pushing with a handful of very troubling, very surprising 0-2 starts. If we're talking disappointing starts, where else could we go besides the Los Angeles Chargers, who at this point defy explanation? Like, my job is to help you make sense of it all, and I don't know how with this team. Week one, they run for 234 yards. They win the turnover battle two to nothing, and they lose to Miami. This week, they go to overtime with a Tennessee Titans team that looked absolutely toothless in week one. Titans struggled putting together first downs against the Saints in week one. Ryan Tannehill throws three interceptions. Week two, 341 yards, 27 points against an absolutely loaded Chargers defense, or loaded on paper anyway. At this point, I don't think we can say that anymore. It's no surprise that Brandon Staley was testy with reporters after this game, asking if that devastating playoff choke job against the Jaguars is lingering in their minds. Now, he insists that it's not, but please, somebody help me pinpoint a reason why a team with this much talent, who actually has played pretty damn well through two weeks, is 0-2. The Chargers are averaging 29 points a game. Justin Herbert looks like incredibly deserving of the massive contract he got. It's not like he's struggling to find his rhythm or struggling to find his receivers. The offense is clicking. The defense has however many hundred million dollars in contracts on it. And this team is 0-2. And I mean, Dolphins game, fine. Somebody's got to lose that game. But don't sit here and tell me, all due respect to the Tennessee Titans, that this was a loss to a team that's going somewhere meaningful later in the season. If that turns out to be the case, I'll email the Tennessee Titans a personal apology letter. It's mind-boggling. It's incredibly disappointing. And even in week two, it makes you wonder where this is going for the Chargers, who now have to dig out of an 0-2 hole, and where this is going for Brandon Staley, who, if the wins don't start coming, some very uncomfortable conversations are going to begin. Spoiler alert. They've already started. Yes, I know. It's only September 18th. Moving on. We're sticking in the AFC. We're sticking to a team that's arguably more disappointing, but we know exactly why, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals. There's no mystery here. The Cincinnati Bengals offense is in crisis, and if you want to say it's because of Joe Burrow's calf injury, I would say that you're probably right. It's clearly affecting him. He didn't have a training camp. He seemed to aggravate it late in this 27-24 loss to the Baltimore Ravens. But when you sign a $275 million contract, people don't want to hear it, man. It just is what it is. The Bengals are one of the most explosive, entertaining offenses in the NFL, or at least they have been. It has not been the case in the early going of this season. The Bengals offense in two games has accumulated 424 yards. 
Four different teams did better than that on Sunday alone. Speaks to the problems. Like I said, they're easy to pinpoint. Lou Anarumo and the Bengals defense, nothing to hang your head about. They played well enough to win in both of these games, losses to Cleveland and Baltimore. Oh, by the way, you're not just 0-2. You're 0-2 in the division. It ain't the defense. We know exactly what it is. Unfortunately, I don't know how quickly Joe Burrow can get his calf right if he's playing every six days, but they got to figure something out because, yes, the Bengals dug out of an 0-2 hole last last year, but that was with a healthy Burrow. Like You can maneuver the problems with the offensive line and find ways to manipulate your game plan with a healthy quarterback. If he's not healthy, it ain't going to work. And like I said, when you're worth $275 million, nobody wants to hear it. Bengals, figure it out. Moving on, new face in Denver, very similar results. The Denver Broncos are 0-2. And while I don't think anybody had, or at least not very many people, I shouldn't say anybody, not a ton of people had lofty expectations for the Denver Broncos considering that they share a division with the Kansas City Chiefs. But when you hire Sean Payton, the Super Bowl winner, one of the best resumes in the NFL today, I think you would have expected them to beat the Raiders or the Commanders, or potentially both. Like, it wouldn't be shocking if the Broncos were on the flip side of this thing as one of our surprise 2-0 and teams, and instead they drop two very easy-looking games, both of them at home. Yes, they are playing more competent football. Like, the crowd's not helping them with the play clock, which I guess is a step in the right direction, but the results aren't any better. I mentioned it earlier. Despite some pretty massive investments on the offensive line, Allowing seven sacks is going to get you beat at virtually any level of football. Russell Wilson terrorized by that commander's front. Didn't stop him from building a 21-3 lead, but it all falls apart after that. Again, I didn't have the Broncos going to the playoffs, but both of these were winnable games. You feel fine at one and one. It, it's got to make Sean Payton sick to think that this team could be 2-0 and with even slightly better play wrapping this up with a team that didn't play Sunday, but we're still just a few days removed from the Vikings 34, 28 loss in Philadelphia and equally disappointing start to the season. I'll keep it short and sweet. Minnesota Vikings 11 and 0 in one score games last season. Oh, and two so far in 2023, the margin of error really is that slim. If the Vikings were even middling at ball security, they would have a shot at two and zero. seven turnovers in two games that were decided by three and six points. They lose 20 to 17 to Tampa Bay. They lose 34, 28 to Philly. If they were even average at holding onto the ball, they could be looking at two and zero in a wide open division, but it's not all storm clouds. Don't worry. Like I just alluded to Vikings, everybody in the NFC North lost in week two, even with that donut for a win column, you have as good a shot as anybody in a division that truly does seem to be wide open. Broncos, like I said, again, your division mates, the Chargers, also 0-2, playing a lot cleaner football than you were last year. I think there's reason for optimism with Sean Payton coaching that team. You can climb out of it, or at the very least, start trading some wins with those losses. Bengals, maybe the most troubling performances of these two weeks so far but again, you've got the guys. I don't think Joe Burrow lost it, nor do I think Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are going to be down for long. They dug out of the no-two hole just last year. 
if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm thinking about the sweat equity from the last two seasons and not losing too much sleep about it. Similar thing goes for the Chargers. I do. I think there are some demons to conquer there in L.A., but the talent on this team, and I mentioned it earlier, forget what people say. Look at the way Justin Herbert has played these first two weeks and take some confidence knowing you have a guy that can keep you in every single football game. So it's week two. We see this every year. The stories are not written in September. Disappointing, but maybe just for now. We'll see how it goes. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Moving right along, we continue the Sunday six. The rookie watch was popular last week. We're going to keep it going. We got five standouts, not to mention a very, very cool honorable mention. There's only one place we can start a rookie list, and it's not anybody's top 10 draft pick or household name. Well, he wasn't anyway. He certainly is now because, guys, Puka Nakua is no longer a feel-good story. Yeah, it was cute last week. He catches 10 balls for 119, and oh my God, who is this guy? He's Puka Nakua. That's who he is. The fifth-round pick out of BYU, 15 catches for 147 yards in Sunday's loss to San Francisco. It's a rookie record for a single game. 25 catches for 266 yards in his first two games. Also a league record. And again, this is not a guy that was drafted in the top 10. This is not a guy that anybody other than a diehard Rams fan and Peter Schrager knew up until about a month ago. Absolutely incredible. Did I mention he did it against San Francisco? You know, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, ring a bell. I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, it was cool last week. It's a bona fide badass story in week two. And from the looks of it, Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, really with some impressive chemistry with Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup on his way back eventually, as our friend Mark Sanchez pointed out earlier in the show. I think this is going to be a trend all season long. And I'm absolutely blown away. Fifth round pick, BYU, Puka Nakua, I see you. I promise this is a different list from last week, but forgive me if it sounds familiar. Bijan Robinson. Also worth a shout out in week two. The counting stats speak for themselves. They're obvious. 23 touches for 170, 172 all-purpose yards. But the thing that made week two special for Bijan Robinson for me, again, the fourth down I mentioned earlier in the show, 207 to play, fourth and one from the Green Bay 23. Falcons could kick and take the lead, but they don't. And if they don't get it, they lose the game more than likely. Arthur Smith puts the ball in Bijan Robinson's hands on a toss sweep. He needs one. He gets seven. That's the elusiveness. That's the skill. That's why you draft him in the top 10. Outstanding performance. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about him on a weekly basis. One more repeat, and it's entirely deserving. It speaks to Anthony Richardson's start on Sunday that he made this list despite actually just playing in one quarter against Houston. I checked in with Chris Myers and Robert Smith on the call 
about how Richardson's day was abbreviated. You know, Dave, I obviously Richardson, you right away impressed by his physical ability. We love talking to him, man, a few words and a lot of action. We hope he's okay in concussion protocol. But what's what's the ceiling on a guy built this way who also seems to have the right attitude for an NFL quarterback? I don't know why there needs to be a ceiling for Anthony Richardson. And, you know, the, you talk about the size, man. When he first steps into the room and you hear about how big a guy like that is and you're like, wow, guy's big. But then when you watch him, watching him week one against Jacksonville, one of the things that you noticed was that he turned some throws down, some opportunities down the field that he could have taken that he did take early in the game today. And I think that's going to be key in his development. How well does he understand? How well does he anticipate the throws that he needs to make? But of course, as we saw today, how well can he protect himself? Yeah, I mean, he's an event waiting to happen, entertaining. When we asked him about how, th- how far he could throw a football, he said <laughs> 75 yards, but I I could probably go 80 if I really tried. Uh, we hope that he's okay, but he's certainly Richardson, Anthony Richardson, I got to watch. The truth. 91 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns in 16 minutes of play. Speedy recovery. Anthony, we're pulling for you, bud, because already less than two games in, looking like one of the league's most entertaining players. Incredible. How about... Another receiver standout, plenty of them in this draft class. Marvin Mims, I am starting to see why there was hype around the speedster out of Oklahoma, the young Denver Bronco. Only caught two passes in the loss to Washington. They went for 53 yards and a 60-yard touchdown. Double the guy. I don't know. Put a a safety in in cloud coverage behind the corner. Do something because I have a feeling... Having having seen this guy in action, Sean Payton is going to find ways to get him involved. I do want to shout out the defense. It's not all about the it's not all about the fantasy stats, y'all. Shout out to a draft nerd favorite, Emmanuel Forbes, in the same game, opposite side of the football. The Washington Commanders cornerback drafted 16th overall, three tackles, two pass breakups, and in game number two, he gets his first career interception. Intercepts Russell Wilson. I think that'll do for a guy that a lot of people doubted because of his slight size. He knows how to get his hands on the football. Go look at his college stats. Getting getting his first pick in his second career game, I have a feeling we're going to see a few more. Really pumped to see that from Emmanuel Forbes. I got one more to mention. It's an honorable mention because strictly speaking, John Mechie third is not a rookie. He was drafted last year. And strictly speaking, I wouldn't say that he balled out. He caught one pass for 17 yards in Houston's loss to Indianapolis. I don't care. Because if you're not familiar with his story, John Mechie played in his first meaningful football game in several years on Sunday. He battled leukemia in 2022. That's why he didn't have a rookie season. Was diagnosed with leukemia after being drafted by the Houston Texans. That's after dealing with an ACL tear that he suffered during his college career. I don't care if he caught zero balls, being in uniform, playing in an NFL game after that fight. I think it's incredible. I'm so, so pumped for John Mechie. Absolutely want to give him a mention. John, cool, cool story. Keep it pushing, dude. All right, just to recap, the rookie watch for week two, that's Rams receiver Puka Nakua, Falcons running back Bijan Robinson, Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson, Broncos receiver Marvin Mims Jr. and Commanders cornerback Emmanuel Forbes Jr. Great work, fellas. Let's wrap up 
another edition of the Sunday Six with what we missed. We can't get to everything in each individual news item, but a few more things I think you need to know before we get you out of here. The Dolphins take down the Patriots in Foxborough. I think it says a lot about what we think about the Dolphins that they put up nearly 400 yards of offense. They won by seven on the road at New England. And it's just kind of, eh, nothing special. Tua goes for 250. Dolphins run for 145. You know Tua Tungavailoa is 5-0 and against Bill Belichick, by the way. Crazy impressive. Miami opened the season with 4,200 miles worth of road trips. They go to L.A., they go to New England. Before they finally get to play a home game, they go 2-0. and Not too shabby, my guys. Patriots 0-2 for the first time since 2001. I did say I wanted to talk about the New York Giants. Mainly, I want to talk about Daniel Jones. It's only fair to mention how hard this guy balled in the second half of the Giants' 21-point comeback against the Arizona Cardinals. They win 31-28 on a last-second field goal. Jones was facing a 20-0 halftime deficit. He goes for 250 through the air. He runs for another 50. Two passing touchdowns, rushing touchdown. It's it's dramatic to say he saved the Giants' season, but how much better do they feel at 1-1 one one than 0-2 oh having gotten their butt kicked by the cards? Now, it's totally fair to say, yeah, but why were the Giants in that position in the first place? And it's a totally fair question. They shouldn't have been. But through the heroics of Daniel Jones... It's a heck of a lot less stressful to worry about. Good on you, Daniel. I predicted Josh Allen would be just fine. Lo and behold, Josh Allen was just fine. Nothing to see here. 38 to 10 over the Raiders. I mean, I thought they'd cover, but geez, that's not even close. Josh goes 31 of 37 for 274 and three touchdowns. Most importantly, no turnovers. Keep it up, Josh. We love to see it. Two Monday night football games tonight. Double the double the fun. I, I don't know why, but I'm not mad about it. Browns at Steelers, which we previewed last week. Go check it out if you haven't. And then another division rivalry. The Saints are at the Panthers in Charlotte. Really looking forward to that. We will be back on Tuesday to recap both games and get you all your NFL news. Guys, we appreciate it. Stay tuned for a special edition of Ask Glazer with who else but Jay Glazer. And go find us on Spotify. Go find us on YouTube. Did I mention Apple Podcasts? Yeah, all the places where you get your podcast. Please give us a download. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Can't wait to do it again starting tomorrow. Guys, talk to you next time. Back for another episode of Ask Glazer with who else but Fox Sports. You got to ask Glazer. NFL insider Jay Glazer. Welcome back to the show, man. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it, man. You know the drill. It's Ask Glazer. Hashtag Ask Glazer. Get your questions in. Jay will be here all season. Start off with with the team of the week. This was the the story that that hit the the news wire very early on Sunday about Aaron Rodgers and a potential early return from an from an Achilles injury. Andrew Rojas wants to know how possible that is. Nobody knows the timetable for his return. Even his doctors don't know the timetable for return. I know, look, here's the thing. The the procedure he did was intended to speed him up. That is accurate. 
Right, so Aaron does want to play again. He wants to get back out there. He wanted a chance to possibly get back out there for the playoffs. But nobody could tell you if that can happen. He's 39 years of age. You don't know how rehab's going to go. You don't know if there's any setbacks. It's just, it's impossible. I know fans want an answer now. Right, right. But it's impossible to tell you what an actual timetable will be until you see him go through his rehab and see how the Achilles resp- and the ankle response. It is way more fun to think that he could pull it off, though, right? He, like, until well, it's ruled out, hey, I'm going to choose to believe. I see what he's done. I don't know what he can't do. Good point. Right. Okay. So on the flip side of that, and there's a lot to learn about this topic, but Zach Wilson is the man of the hour in New York now. And, and I understand the jets rallying behind him, but I think Raya Raya has a good question is how far do you think this belief in Zach Wilson goes? How long do you think the leash is in New York for Zach Wilson this year? At least going into, you know, this game against the Dallas Cowboys, they're like, Hey, we're going to believe in Zach. Here's the thing. Zach lost all confidence in himself last year. And that's why he was benched. That's why he was almost you know, traded out of town or um, moved. And then when Aaron Rodgers came in, took him under his wing, he got all his confidence back. So they just saw a different Zach Wilson. Even in practice this week, they just saw a completely different Zach Wilson. They're hoping he's going to be different. And they don't need him to be the Zach Wilson. When you take a guy second overall, you're expecting him to be that, you know, lead that team. And, he, you know, you're gonna, you, he's going to put you on his back. They just they have a great running game, great defense. They just need him not to really mess it up for everybody there. And as, as long as he doesn't make mistakes and have turnovers, he could be efficient enough for them because of the rest of the supporting cast. So, you know, look, right now, going into that game, they put their chips in the table on Zach Wilson, but he's got to show them to have confidence in him on a consistent basis. On the flip side of that Dallas-New York matchup, love this question from Brandon Laurie. The Cowboys side of things, Dan Quinn. Yep. One of the best coordinators in the league, a hot name in head coaching mm-hmm. circles for two years now. And the mm-hmm. Cowboys have managed to keep him around twice. Mm-hmm. If this season goes where it looks like it's going to go for the Dallas defense, do you see that changing this year and, and him becoming a head coach in the next cycle? Yeah, I see Dan Quinn becoming a head coach uh, after the season. Absolutely. And, you know, here's what happened. Originally, Denver wanted to hire him before they hired Nathaniel Hackett. Mm-hmm. They wanted to hire Dan Quinn. The problem was they interviewed him like the day after the Cowboys lost in the playoffs. So he just went in there in the tank. And when you go in the tank, like one thing that's so great about Dan Quinn is how authentic, po- oh, authentically positive he absolutely. is. Absolutely. Right? Constantly just optimistic, positive. When you go in there day after a playoff loss, you're not coming in with any positivity or any joy or any optimism. So, you know, they end up moving off of Dan Quinn because of that and going, obviously, to uh, where we are right now. Um, we went with Nathaniel Hack and then Sean Payton after that. But, yeah, Dan Quinn will be a head coach next year. I, I, I completely agree with you. Moving on, interesting situation in Chicago that Jeremy Bimbao wants to know about. Chase Claypool last week drew the ire of, yeah. of pretty much everybody with what rightfully he put so. on tape. Rightfully so. Yeah. So what is the situation with Claypool and, and where do they go yeah. moving forward? Well, he here? admitted it. He actually went and apologized to the GM, head coach, players. Like he apologized that, that wasn't the right effort and he needed to put that effort out there. They did tell him, though, if we see it again, you're done. Like we're out. We're not going to go for this anymore. It's not the culture we want here. And, you know, I, I would say he's, you know, Kind of on a tight leash there. If if he shows that kind of effort again, they'll definitely deactivate him and possibly see if they could ship him out of there. But it's up to him. Look, look, he's a man. He is in charge of what he decides to put out there and the effort out there on the field. And if he shows that kind of effort because he has the talent, then, you know, he's a guy that they expected to be a weapon. They traded the 33rd pick of the draft for him. Right. So they expected him to be that weapon. So they know he has that talent. I'm curious 
based on what we've seen, I, I would be curious what the trade market would be. And if it came yeah, to that, yeah. I, I wonder if they would outright release him if it came to that. Still a little early for that. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just see what happens over the next coming weeks. I love people that are thinking ahead. This is a thinking ahead question from Jonathan Russell. Maybe something you'll be reporting about in the spring. If you stayed up late enough to see Shadur Sanders in Colorado, oh, yeah, I did. beat Colorado State. I didn't have to stay up late, so I didn't know the question you were asking. <laughs> but I, I mean, stay up late, come, making a billion calls. So yeah, you know, I, I mean, I can I believe that. Much. You can hear my voice later on here on Sunday. I'm guessing most Saturdays. I'm guessing you're going to be making calls about Shadur Sanders in the spring. I mean, he looks like a Heisman Trophy uh, candidate for touchdowns against Colorado State. What do yeah. you think of his draft stock? I know it's early, early, yeah. but is this a guy that that we could be talking about as a first round pick? Oh, the top five pick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a fun year for quarterbacks. It really is. But, you know, right now, Caleb Williams over in you know, USC is probably up there at number one. But, you know, you never know how these quarterbacks end up dropping. But right now, I think he's consensus. But, no, Shadour is just – he'll be a top five pick. And, look, he has a work ethic. He has the smarts. He has all the intangibles. He's just going to get better. He's going to grow. Uh, his, dad, his dad's not going to let him regress in any way. Sure. Right. So, yeah, I think he'll end up being the top five pick. If you throw in Drake May at North Carolina, mm-hmm. I mean, that's three yeah, really three right there in the top five. Really yeah. fun prospects. For the top five. That's hey, that's months from now. But I appreciate the thought. we got plenty more season to get to. Jay's going to help us do it every yeah. week. Jay Glazer, thank you so much. My appreciate friend. it, man.